Hello out there. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo, and the name of the show is Across the Pond because we're over here on the east coast of the United States and broadcasting all over the world, especially a lot of listeners there in the UK on Premier Radio. Uh, but we are here every week talking about red letter Christianity. And by that, we, uh, we're winking at those old Bibles that uh, had in the Gospels, every time Jesus spoke, it would have the, the words colored and kind of highlighted in red. That's and here in so, the United States. Yeah. The British Bibles don't do that. They don't highlight like we do. Tony, you can even get the iPhone app on, or the phone app for the Bible that has the red letters in red. Whoa. So, I mean, we are... We are so anyway, if you don't have one of those old Bibles, like all that we're saying is that we believe Jesus meant the stuff he said. Uh, and it was Gandhi when he was asked about Christianity. He said, oh, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. He also said, everybody knows what Jesus taught except for Christians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Gandhi, who, uh, you know, he, he read the Sermon on the Mount every day. You know, he, he kind of yeah. saturated himself with it. And so... Um, uh, you kind of wonder what would uh, evangelical Christianity look like if we committed to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and just ask ourselves, what if Jesus meant it? What if we were to live like the lilies and the sparrows and not uh, worry about tomorrow and not stockpile money in banks? But what if we live with that kind of freedom? What if we were to love our enemy and turn the other cheek. I mean, these are things that fly in the face of so much of the stuff in our world. Or I love the Beatitudes. We've got a t-shirt uh, that we, we have in our community with the, the, the Beatitudes. This is where Jesus said, he named the things that God blesses, the people that God blesses. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, those who mourn, the peacemakers, the persecuted kind of everybody that we don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah. those are the ones that he celebrates. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's the way it reads in Matthew. The Beatitudes also appear in the book of Luke. I guess you know that. Yeah. And uh, there it really goes hard on rich people. Yeah. It's got yeah. the woes, not yeah. just the blessings, yeah. but the woes, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, where it says blessed are the poor in spirit in, in Luke, it says, Woe unto you, rich people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When people tell me, well, Jesus is talking about spiritual poverty. Yeah. I'm like, you must have read Matthew, because if you read Luke, he's actually pretty crystal clear. Blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich. I mean, he's not saying woe to you who are rich in spirit, right? Yeah. Well, you know, what I always say to people when they raise the issue, it's poor in spirit. I say, fine, but there needs to be a balance. The truth is that Jesus comes with these words. Uh, blessed are those who are spiritually hungry. Blessed are those who are aware of their own spiritual limitations, uh, that are poor in spirit. Uh, these people who recognize it, uh, this is a first step to moving to God. That's one way of looking at it. So Jesus is interested in spiritual salvation, but you can't read in the seventh chapter of Luke without becoming aware that he's concerned about economic salvation that poor people need to be delivered from their poverty, mm. and that rich people have to begin to respond to the needs of the poor by giving sacrificially to those who are in need. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how we kind of spiritualize some of this stuff, because I've literally heard sermons that said when, when 
Jesus uh, said uh, th these things about money. He, he was just saying that we shouldn't be make idols of money. Yeah. We shouldn't love it too much, you know, and uh, and yet you kind of read a little closer and he's he's actually a lot. Of, I mean, there is a part of it that's saying you can be rich in money and poor in spirit like, you you know, but there's also some stuff that where it's pretty clear that God's casting the mighty from their thrones and lifting up the lowly. There's like spiritual dimensions. And I, I love, you know, the rich ruler stories pretty clear. I remember when Rich Mullins, who was a wonderful singer and songwriter, if you don't know that name, Rich Mullins, you should check him out. But he, uh, uh, he wrote some, uh, I think of some of the best songs of, of yeah. the 20th century in, in Christianity. He also lived on a native reservation out west, a Native American reservation. He lived off of a very small income, even though his, his music generated uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But he came and spoke at Wheaton College, Wheaton University, where I was uh, going for one year of my, my undergrad. And I'll, I'll never forget it because he stood up and he said, you guys are all into that born again thing. And it, that, that's important. Jesus says to one guy, this guy named Nicodemus, when he asked, what do you, I need to do to enter the kingdom? He says, you need to be born again. So we need to be born again. But if you tell me I've got to be born again to enter the kingdom, I can tell you that you've got to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because Jesus said that to one guy too. Yeah. And then, then it got really quiet and, and Rich said, uh, but I guess that's why God invented highlighters. So we can highlight the parts we like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, you, you look at the, the radical economics of the gospel and uh, they are about, you know, our own heart and soul condition, but they, they're also very much about economics and how the things that we own begin to own us and where, you know, our, our treasure is there, our heart is. And there's a, a Latin American uh, evangelist, Juan Carlos Ortiz. Did mm. you ever hear him preach? Yeah. I've, I've, yeah. But uh, he would say, you can always figure out what somebody believes by getting their Bibles and seeing which verses they have underlined. Mm. The Presbyterians underline all the verses that have to do with predestination. Yeah. The Baptists underline all the word verses that have to do with baptism. And he says, he goes on that way. The Mennonites, yeah. the whole Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. And then he says, you know what part of the Bible you need to read? The part you didn't underline, mm. because they're the truths that you've avoided. And that's what has happened to the church. Uh, as I was a kid growing up, every Bible I study I went to, every Bible study I participated in, we studied the epistles of Paul. So if you want to know about Pauline theology, I got it down pat. Mm. It took me a long while to realize I had neglected the teachings of Jesus, mm. which is what Red Letter Christianity is all about yeah. and the Red Letter Christian movement is all about. Namely, it's about time to take Jesus seriously, not just Paul's theology, but the lifestyle that Jesus prescribes. And, and one of the things that we've, we've come to really identify is that in Christianity, all of the Bible is important. But there's a lot of times where we interpret Jesus through the lens of Paul or through the lens of the Hebrew Scripture. And, and it's just the opposite, really, that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God's doing in the world. So now we read the, old, we read the Hebrew Bible in light of Jesus. We read Paul in light of Jesus. And they're not in contrast to each other, but sometimes they can, they can feel like they are conflicting. And, and yeah. I heard one, uh, a good friend of mine that said, whenever the Bible verses feel like they're uh, in combat, Jesus is the referee. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jesus is the sounding board. There yeah. you go. Uh, you know, uh, as, a, as a young preacher, and that's a long time ago, that's like 
62 years ago. I'm now 84. So right. I started preaching in my early 20s. I was throwing out old papers because the filing cabinets are, it's time to get rid of this stuff. Came across the very first sermon I preached. And the, the opening text from the epistles was, uh, it wasn't actually uh, from the epistles, it was from the book of Acts. The opening text was uh, where the scripture records about the apostles. Lo, the men who turned the world upside down mm. have come here too. Mm. We've got to get rid of these guys because yeah. they're, they're turning the world upside down. One of our friends, uh, Reverend Craybill, uh, one of the fine and the Baptist theologians here in the United States, wrote a book called The Upside Down Kingdom. Which, which they just re-released. Yeah, yeah. And, and it sold very, very well in the United Kingdom, incidentally. You can get it over there. Uh, and uh, as I... It's a great title, yeah, The Upside Down King, Kingdom. You know, the last or first, the first or last. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he goes through this whole thing. But uh, I looked at that first sermon, and that was the opening line. Uh, the men who, all we the people who turn the world upside down. And from that, I went right to the 10th chapter of Mark, the story you just referred to of Jesus confronting this rich young ruler, uh, this young man, wealthy. Uh, and I, I, I can remember the, what I said. He came with the right attitude. He came running to Jesus. This is not somebody who casually wanders into a meeting. He comes running to Jesus. He throws himself down on his knees, raises his arms, and says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Mm. 10th chapter of Mark. Jesus says, you know the commandments? Do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor your father and mother. And uh, the young man says, all of these things I have observed from my youth. It's very interesting. Mm. Jesus doesn't deal with the first few commandments, which yeah. are, you should have no other gods before me. Uh, you know, you must not worship anything other than me because this guy had been worshiping money and something was more important to him than God, and that was his money. Mm. And so he says, you know the commandments. Do not kill, do not, not all the, you've been observing all of these, but one thing thou lackest, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and take up the cross and follow me. Our friend John Perkins uh, one of the leaders in the African-American community and for all as uh, socially oriented evangelicals. John Perkins said, when Jesus told the young, rich young ruler, sell what you have and give to the poor, it wasn't that that was going to solve the problems of the poor. It was going to solve the problems of the rich young ruler mm. because in responding to the needs of the poor, sacrificially, he himself would be changed. He himself would be transformed. He himself would become a new person. And I look yeah. back on that sermon, I say, you know, I better start preaching that sermon again. Yeah, yeah it's a good it's one. A well, good and right sermon. after it, the, the disciples are pretty disheartened. I mean, uh, yeah. they, they're like, wow, why you let this rich guy like walk away? I think they're yeah. probably like, we, we need some power yeah. and riches. Well, he's, you know what they said? They listened to him and he said, you can almost hear him. In you can get in. Yeah, yeah. 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 you got to be kidding, Jesus. Yeah. If that's what it takes to be a Christian, uh, then uh, uh, follow then, then who then can be saved? That's their exact yeah. word. Who then can be and, saved? And Jesus says it's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person. But before he says it, he says this, and I know you used this verse just before you took a final exam here at Easter. <laughs> and the verse is, with God, all things are yeah. possible. Yeah. He says, uh, the disciples say, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with men, this is impossible. Yeah. But with God's help, 
it becomes possible. Yeah, and 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 he also is recognizing how hard it is for us to abandon the things that we put our trust in, yeah. that we put our hope in, and um, you know, I've, I've I've always really thought that that's not about whether or not rich people are welcome in. It's about the nature of the kingdom of God, and in the kingdom of God, we don't have rich folks and poor folks. We have people that are brothers and sisters that are begin to hold their possessions differently. And if you can't get that, if you can't hold your possessions with open hands to the poor, then uh, you need to get on your knees. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and rethink our lives. So, yeah. well, it's, it's a, it's a powerful message. And, and I think it was hard for the disciples and it's uh, hard for us and our 401k plans and yeah. retirement pensions. And <laughs> I wrote a book uh, uh, called 20 hot potatoes. Christians are afraid to touch. I, it was my homework yeah. in, in undergrad. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's a great book. So you go through all these different kind of hot button issues and, yeah. uh, which, which ones are, do you think are still relevant? Well, today? probably most of them, huh? There's every once in a while, I get a letter because somebody's read the book who owns a BMW uh-huh. and I have a chapter in there. Can, can a Christian own a BMW? And I simply raise the question. Said, Only in Germany where they're made. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it went simply like this. A BMW here in the United States costs like $80,000. Or in the United Kingdom, that would be about 60,000 uh, pounds. And the question is very simple. If Jesus had 60,000 pounds or $80,000, and he was going to buy a car because he lived in a world where you didn't go around with sandals on dusty roads, but drove around on super highways. What kind of car would he drive? What kind of car would he buy? Would he spend $80,000 or 60,000 pounds in British money Mm. to buy a BMW? Or would he take the money and buy a a relatively inexpensive car? Mm. Uh, I have a car. I think it's 12 years old now. Uh, but it runs well, and uh, you know I keep it going. And I it, I bought it secondhand for a fraction of that amount. And uh, it, it's a good car. It rides well. Doesn't give me any trouble. Question: What kind of car would Jesus drive? You know, we had the sign W W Camel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I was talking to some junior high kids. I said, "What kind of car do you think Jesus would drive?" And one kid said. I think he would buy a 12-passenger van. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the thing is, uh, would he buy a luxury car? Namely, do we buy luxury uh, items, or as our Mennonite brothers and sisters say so well, or are we obligated to live simply that other people might simply live? Yeah. yeah, I I think that sometimes we focus on the stuff as if it were about the material things more than it is about um, uh, the, the the fact that oh well one of my friends said it really well he said people ask me can a Christian drive a Porsche and he said my response is why would I want a Porsche I ride a bike it, <laughs> it, it, it frees me up you know but yeah. you have these cars that we spend all this money on, we're constantly obsessed with, oh, you know, a bird pooped on it or a piece of gravel hit it or someone's going to hit my bumper. And Mother Teresa really recognized that, you know. I mean, here's one. She she even considered hot water a luxury, yeah. you know, um, because so many people don't even have water. But she said the, the more stuff we have, the more we have to maintain. And the more that the things that we own begin to own us. We become possessed by our own possessions, and it becomes 
not just a part of our identity, but a part of what just takes up our time and energy and space. And so I think there's ways that we like literally it is about the poor flourishing, but it's also about us being set free to to. Uh, not worry so much about stuff, uh, you know. Like uh, I, you know, from being around me, I don't change my outfit a whole lot. It smells um, at times. <laughs> it smells. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I, I decided like this is one thing I don't have to worry about is yep. what I'm going to wear in the yep. morning. I yep. got this comic on my wall of these two nuns, and they say, "What are you wearing today?" And the other one goes, "Yep, same thing." You know. Yeah. But that that I think there's a there's something to be said for. Um, that, that living simply so that others may simply live, but we're also living simply so that we can live more yeah. fully and be less obsessed with all the stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, the thing is that uh, uh, I don't dress as simply as you do. I mean, uh, but I have two sweaters. <laughs> Some days I wear one, or you call them jumpers over there in the United Kingdom. I wear the one and other days I wear the other one. Uh, and how many how many jumpers do you need? How many pairs of trousers do you need? Do you always wear black pants? The answer is, yeah, I got two pair, and I trade them off. So not as simply as you live, but but moving in the no, right direction. But I, I think that it's it's less about uh, guilt. Like I, I read the scripture where Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. I don't think that Jesus came to give us guilt or shame, but actually to set us free to really live without some of those worries. And one of the best examples of, uh, of that. But stop. Yeah. I think guilt is a good thing. Yeah. There's a, I need to stop and say guilt is a good thing. Guilt is the way God gets us to recognize the sin in our lives. Yeah. But if you're going to live in guilt for the rest of your life, that's wrong. Yeah. If there's something that's making you feel guilty, repent. And repentance means that you not only say, I'm sorry, but you change the direction. The word repentance means, in the original language, you change direction. I was moving in the direction of the affluent, uh, upper-middle-class lifestyle. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to move in the opposite direction. I'm going to repent. And if you repent, the Scripture says, then forget those things which are behind, and let's move on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, Guilt is the way God gets us to face up. Holy conviction. That's yeah. right. That's I, I, a, we, a better word. We, 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 around our, our way, we say guilt is a good indicator, but it's a bad motivator. Like Whoa. It indicates what might be wrong, but like we can't be driven to do stuff out of guilt. And that's where you know folks talk about Catholic guilt or whatever. You end up doing stuff not driven by love or joy or hope, but just driven out of duty and obligation. And, you know, so, but the story I was going to tell you real quick, you've, you've heard me tell the story maybe a couple of times, Tony, but one of the powerful experiences I had in India when I was working with um, Mother Teresa and the sisters was we, we had this party for these kids on the street. And there were tons of kids, eight years old, 10 years old that lived on the street. And one of them, it was his birthday and I wanted to get him subtly just a little gift. So I ran off and got him an ice cream cone because it was like 120 degrees. And I bring this ice cream cone. I pull him aside because I didn't want all the other kids to get, you know, crazy. And uh, I give him the ice cream. And his impulse is that this is too good to keep for myself. Yeah. So he yells at all the other kids. And he says, come over. Everybody's going to get a lick. And he passes the ice cream cone around like 100 kids lick it. And then he hands it to me and expects me to take it away. Yeah, you know? Go but, home diseased. But what he like the, the the innocence of that, you know, that yeah. that 
this ice cream is too good to keep for myself. Like, I want to make sure everybody gets a lick. And I think that's really what, what we're after with a lot of this, is that, that we, we end up, um, it's, it's not that the gifts of God are so bad, but they're so good. We want to make sure everybody experiences, like, this day their daily bread, the taste of the ice cream. I don't know whether you ever heard me tell a story that's similar to that. I was down in the Dominican Republic with a, a wonderful Christian doctor who's Dominican, and we went out to a slum called Guachapita, and uh, uh, this boy came up and wanted to shine my shoes. And I, yeah, and Elias Santana said to me, let him shine your shoes. Give him the money uh, because he's not going to waste it. He'll use it uh, in a godlike manner. So I let him shine my shoes, and I gave him um, a couple of pesos, uh, equivalent to a U.S. dollar. He ran across the way, uh, across the road, uh, dirt road, uh, to a little wayside stand and bought a loaf of bread. And same thing, yelled at the top of his lungs, yo! And kids came in mm. every direction and surrounded him. And he started sharing the bread with all the kids that were there. It was like Jesus at the Last Supper, breaking bread and distributing it and uh, saving one little piece for himself. And they all cheered and had a great time. And it's the same thing, this innocence of sharing that we somehow lose and we become selfish and self-centered. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the God is not against uh, having a good time. He just wants us to share the good time. Yeah. And one of, one of the, the images of that, that uh, is the Lord's Supper, where everybody yeah. is to get some of this sacramental gift of God, right? Yeah. And, and the Apostle Paul, it's interesting because he actually scolds the early Christians for betraying that. And he said, uh, and, and sometimes we think, oh, they were coming to the communion table with sin in their hearts. And actually what Paul's really clear about is, no, some of you are coming to the table hungry. Yeah. And some of you are coming to the table uh, full of food and, you know, yeah. you've overindulged and that disparity disgraces the very point yeah. of this holy meal. Um, and in Corinthians, it says, let the one Paul writes, let the one who can gather, not gather too much. And then the one who can only gather little won't have too little, but there, there will be equality. Well, right. you say that stuff in our country and people are like, wow, you're a socialist. You're like, yeah. no, we're Christians. My, uh, <laughs> My father told the story of coming over from Italy, a very impoverished Italian kid, and uh, they would come in with buses into South Philadelphia and take people over to New Jersey to pick beans in the, mm. in the fields. And uh, at the end of the day, the uh, farmer would let you glean to go over the, and anything that hadn't been picked, you can pick it, put it in a basket, and go out on the highway and sell it to cars passing mm. by, to people in cars passing by. So... Uh, he talked about being exhausted at the end of the day, and he was trying to fill this little bushel with beans, mm. picking up a few. And he looked down at the end of the row, and here was this gigantic African-American man, this black man. And he's moving down quickly, picking, picking beans all over the place, gleaning like nobody's business. And my father said, I just sat there and sat down and said, I don't stand a chance. He's going to have all the beans. I'm going to be left with nothing. And he said, and the guy kept on coming closer and closer and closer, came right up in front of me, took his bushel of beans, mm. dumped it in my bushel, and then said, someday you're going to see a poor, tired kid picking beans. Remember what I did for you. Mm. Woo. Wow. Woo. 
There's the message of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, we're coming to the end. So give a plug for Red Letter Christians. Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah, tell we're, us about we're, it. We're giving we're giving this whole gospel thing a shot. We uh, also catch each other uh, when when we fall short of what we aspire to. And Tony always quotes that verse that uh, I have not yet attained it, but I am running the race. So we're we're supporting each other. And another great line that Tony says is he, when people tell him that the church is full of hypocrites, he says. No, it's not. There's always room for more. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we need grace with each other, but we also need to not compromise the cost of discipleship, the fact that Jesus is calling us to, to leave everything, to follow him. And, and so let's, let's not cheapen that by, by excusing our, our uh, overindulgence and our, you know, our love of material things. Let's try to live out the gospel. So give that a shot. Thanks for... Uh, for joining us, go to our website, redletterchristians.org. And if and we if we got to leave you with a Bible verse, it's from the book of Romans, mm. uh, the 12th chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, be not conformed to this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your spirit. Who's determining your lifestyle? The spirit of God or the culture in which you live? On that note, Blessings and think about these things. God bless you and keep you.